Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Now, last t- Tyler, last time it had been three weeks between episodes, uh, between movie journals, and I had only seen three movies. Now it's only been one week, and I've only seen three movies, which still feels below where I want to be. But I, I did watch more movies. That's not bad. Hey, three in one week is not bad. I know that you, you're busy. You got a lot of stuff to do. Fitting three movies in is pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess it's, this is the the upside of being your own boss in terms of like the editor or co-editor of the yeah. website is that uh, I'm also I'm behind on reviews. Yeah. But um, so that's the upside is that like, well, there's no one who's going to fire me for it. Yeah. But the downside, it means I have to live with the person who's mad at me yeah. for being late exactly um incidentally because you tend to run like uh, like basically all the admin stuff i it's i have to remind myself that you're not my boss uh, because <laughs> it does sometimes feel like that but well, not because of you but just because of me but also i think i mean we're getting into like behind the scenes stuff there are things that i tend to handle with the website and things and the podcast and things that you tend to handle. And I think because of the pandemic, we didn't do commentary marathons, which is like something you handle. Yeah. We also are like our sort of year end, like as far as our top tens from, from other contributors and that sort of stuff. Like there was less of that because people were like, I've seen stuff and it was all weird. So like the stuff that is your purview that there hasn't been as much of, that um, is true. Yes. So, so uh, that's maybe why it feels the past year and a half like I've been running the website more because yeah. there's been less for you to do. Which is, I mean, that sucks in many ways, but it's also time time wise it works out, right? Because you, it's like the busiest time ever in your life. Yes. Maybe you didn't need to be like editing fifteen different top ten lists. That's, uh, yes, that's <laughs> a good point. I could barely handle like the three that we got yeah but uh okay now david all right yes yeah, so uh you mentioned these three movies yeah tell me about them. well i went uh to the natalie and i went to the movies all right um we were the we, we had a private screening um we we're the only people in the theater uh when we went to see m night Shyamalan's old old oh yeah it's okay the movie about the beach that makes you older mm-hmm. um in my opinion, every beach makes me a little older. I do feel closer to death when I get a, when I walk away from a beach. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, I think, very welcome uh, reevaluation of M Night Shyamalan. I think in the in the film buff community, you know, I think yeah. uh, um, because I think, and I'll get into how my feelings on old because I think like roasting M. Night Shyamalan for the shit about his movies that's corny mm-hmm. was one thing but my feelings when watching old one I was I was realizing like it's shockingly rare for a studio genre movie to be made by someone who is this sure of what to do with a fucking camera oh sure you know what I mean oh yeah um, and, and I feel like maybe when people were all making fun of M night Shyamalan after the village and then like lady in the water, people hated and stuff like that. Like maybe it was, a, it's a case of like, Oh, we didn't realize how good we had it. Like how good a natural <laughs> filmmaker he oh, is yeah. that like, maybe we should have let him slide on the corny shit, which brings me to old a movie that is full of corny shit, full mm. of corny dialogue. But in a way that's so like, 
I've never, and I know this one of the movies, the village is one of the movies that I feel has been most rescued by this, um, th- this, uh, revisiting of M. Night Shyamalan. I've never, I rewatched the village during the pandemic. I, I there's things I love about it so much. Mm-hmm. And then there are just things that are, uh, too, uh, uh, convenient, uh, about it too poorly thought through. And, and, and yeah, it has the thing of like, raising the stakes very high and then kind of I guess I already said convenient like kind of dispatching with them a little too uh, underwhelmingly for me like basically the I, I'm acting like I need to not spoil the village basically the the fate of Adrian Brody's character is kind of like right it just seems like he just he just got shunted to decide at the end when it was like building up to like what's he gonna do he's gonna fuck everything up and it's like oh no he fell in a fucking pit or whatever it's that bums me out the thing that always got me from a because i i agree with you is that like from the thing that people always said including me is that like he needs to direct somebody else's script what they're basically saying when they say that is formalistically he's amazing Mm -hmm. from a storytelling standpoint you uh, can't always be relied upon, but looking at film as just sort of an experiential kind of thing. Like I feel like he always has you firmly like glued to the screen because it's often so yeah. beautiful. But when there's, but he is, you know, I don't think he's thinking in terms of like making experimental film. He's thinking in terms of story and it doesn't always work out. And so like my issue with the village was, and I guess we're, you know, we're told about the, the monsters in the mm-hmm. woods and then it's revealed what they are or rather what they're not. And so it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's a bit of a twist, but then it's like, ah, oh, but the, we've, we've heard there are monsters out here and it's just like, you burned it, man. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't do that because now I don't, yeah, you can't have that level of twist and still try to, to use it again. Um, well, maybe the, maybe the reason that old works as well as it does for me is that, uh, even though he wrote the screenplay, it's not, it's adapted from an mm. existing, uh, graphic novel. So, um, the story was, I guess, already there, yeah. uh, for him. But what I was getting back to in terms of like the consistency is, yeah, the dialogue in old is often very corny and often very like, um, something happens and the character just so the audience understands says what just happened. There's a lot of that in old, but it's weirdly, it's so consistent that it just becomes like, never my, my yeah. <laughs> we live in a world where people talk like this. Apparently. Yeah. My, my dad, when he was my little, little league coach used to say like when an umpire would get so mad, like, Oh, why is he calling that a strike? That was clearly a ball. And my dad would be like, he's been calling that a strike the whole game. He's at least, consistent and it's yeah. up to you to get used to it and so that's kind of how i felt about like okay every time something weird ha- weird happens one of the characters is going to say oh my god blank just happened so that we're, we're clear on it that's but it's consistent that's the way it works um really but the the, the movie is uh a, a not at all subtle allegory mm-hmm. for for aging it's a kind of it's a you know it's a horror movie and it has horrific things that happen the way the horror movies do but the most horrifying stuff like i'll say at one point a character who you know was a a middle-aged man or even younger at the beginning like he his eyesight starts to get blurry Mm. to me 
that is as terrifying as 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 any any monster that he yeah. could have that he could have thought of and and so i think that um that level of horror of being like you know often I love to watch scary movies because I'm scared, but I know at the end, like, okay, there's not really a videotape that kills you, but like the things that happen to these characters and old, they're going to happen to me. I mean, if I'm lucky, they're going to happen to me. If I'm not yeah. lucky, you know, I'll be like one of the other characters who gets soft uh, yeah. or, or earlier on. Um, so there's a, there's a deep existential horror, but with that, like I've talked about with um, the way that, dark comedy only really works if it has a an actual respect and love for mm-hmm. the grace of human life and stuff like that there's there's a there there's a there's a humanity and a kind of hope um to to old even as the situation feels hopeless and and um you know i don't want to give me spoilers but uh there's there's a an appreciation for for moments and connections that are, uh, that are made. Um, there's also some like just crazy stuff that happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed old. I, I, we went in basically, we got free tickets to the, there's a new like dining movie theater in Glendale mm. or it's an existing one. It was a studio movie girl. Now it's owned by a different company. And so they like, we got, free tickets to this email thing because mm. it was like opening weekend or whatever so we were basically like locked into going to this movie theater and old was the only thing that i was even a little interested yeah. in seeing the other one and uh, natalie who like is even harder to please than i am she was like and also was less keyed into movies she was like looking at the list she was like uh what's free guy it's the comedy it's got ryan reynolds and i was like that's about video games and she was like no way <laughs> so old was the one we decided on and i'm so glad that we yeah. saw it because I, I really, uh, really, I really liked it to maybe even kind of loved it. It is one of those things where when I saw the trailer for it, uh, Jen and I are both very uh, excited about it. And then you hear it's M. Night Shyamalan. And there's, for me, there is, there are two conflicting emotions immediately. When I, when I, I see, cause his movies always make great trailers. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, so I'll get excited about a movie and then I find out he directed it. And on one hand, it's like, okay, like there's an, from a storytelling standpoint, there's an immediate shift of like, okay, okay. I now know what to expect that it's, there's going to be some disappointments, but I also know it's like, yeah, but he's going to, I'm going to feel a certain way probably the whole time. And for him to make something that's straight up horror, uh, especially something like that, which is sort of existential, yeah. uh, is something that uh, really appealed to me and I just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. But, I'll definitely uh, check it out. Um, speaking of, well, do you remember, cause his reputation fell quite a bit. Do you remember there was stories of, cause he produced that movie devil? Uh, yes. Yes. And there were stories of like people laughing in theaters when it said like produced by mm-hmm. Mitchell or from Shyamalan. Um, I, I feel sad for him. I never saw Devil. Did you see it? No, I didn't. I do know that uh, there are people. There are people I know that like adore it, that I love it yeah. on so many, like on just a thematic level, and then the rest of it just kind of doesn't get, didn't give them a reason to move away from that. So they just yeah. really embraced it. Um, speaking of <laughs> trailers, though, I still do you remember "Turn on the Light" from that trailer. I do not. Remember oh, really? That. And he, yeah. Um, 
uh, it embarrasses Natalie when I say, because <laughs> when I'm just trying to say like, or she'll just say, can you turn on the light? And I'll be like, turn on the light. Um, uh, also, uh, the other reason I'm thinking about devil is there's a band or just a guy who goes by the name, Mr. Goblin, who had an album who that just came out or is about to come out. And the name of the album is four people in an elevator. And one of them is the devil. <laughs> the name of his album is the premise of the movie devil. That's fun. Um, and it's a good album too, or at least there, what I've heard is there was a band simply called goblin, right? Uh, well, yeah, they did the, um, they did the music. Was it uh, Suspiria? Suspiria. Yes. Yeah. 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 I like the idea that this guy's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a little bit more formal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse me. That's <laughs> Mr. Goblin to you. Um, okay. Or maybe this band is that band's dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, well done. You got me. Okay. So I also went to see a movie uh, in the theater and I also was the only one in the theater, which I do find, you know, I like seeing stuff with a crowd, but I also find it very liberating when I'm the only one in the theater. But also I feel like it's the death knell like for theater going. It's sad. Like, uh, it's like, yes, it's nice, but it's like, I want theaters to stay in business, oh, yes. but no one's going. I, I wasn't expecting it to be given what the movie was, where I saw it, what time it was and how long the film had been out. I did not expect it to be okay uh full by any stretch or even i thought there might be two other people in there right. um so i went to see david lowry's the green knight and where'd you see it i saw it at uh amc in woodland hills what time on 9 45 p.m on a on a wednesday yeah yeah not gonna be a lot of people yeah um what no not wednesday sorry uh oh man Sunday. It was a Sunday. But, Still, you know, people, people are home work. watching yeah. Mad Men or whatever the equivalent is now. <laughs> oh boy, that's a very sad thing. Uh, the White Lotus. There you go. That's what people are getting. Which home I to watch. just started hearing about recently. Uh, Mike, uh, yeah, Mike White I mean, is associated. You haven't with had it. that much time to. I think it was only like a six episode. Okay. It was, one, and it's like one of those big little lies thing where it's like it's a mini series and it did well, and it's like we're doing a second season. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Zahn's in it. I saw that, and that excites me. And Connie Britton. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. And Jake Lacey. Oh. Uh, yeah, Natalie really liked it. All right. I'll have, I to, didn't pri- watch. I'll have to prioritize that. Um, I saw that there's going to be a... Well, I knew that there was going to happen, but like, uh, I saw a trailer for the, the next season of uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which I was very excited about. Oh, yeah. It's um, coming up soon. Uh, it is, and that excites me. Um, but yeah, so The Green Knight... I mean, my limited exposure to David Lowry, you definitely get a sense of what he, what his type of movies are. I was, I both leading up to and after I was like, why did this get a wide release Hmm. just by default because of the pandemic? Because, and I know that like Dev Patel has, has a, a bit of a following and like, Oh, there's a, it's this medieval thing. And, and so, uh, you know, maybe it, it, it could appeal to people, but it definitely plays like this sort of ethereal, uh, nebulous kind of thing where, yes, there is officially a story mm-hmm. uh, that unfolds, you know, uh, in, in the proper order. Um, and yet it is very much about uh, Gawain exploring, his, you know, he gets 
for people that maybe didn't read the story in, I believe, freshman, uh, freshman or sophomore year of high school, I read uh, Gawain and the Green Knight in uh, I've in never high read it. I remember I, I had like a, I think as a kid, I had like a kid's book version, like an illustrated okay. book that was like the story, but not the. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. There's a lot going on there. It, it, in many ways, it reads the beats and the way that it's written reads like something out of the Bible, you know, uh, or Hemingway, like where it doesn't really give much as far as like internal. Mm. Uh, it just says like the things that happen anyway. Um, and so King Arthur's court is meeting on Christmas and a, a giant otherworldly unnamed knight comes in uh, in this case, he looks like he came from a tree. Like he looks like he's uh, there's a, a a leafy wooden quality to him, and he uh, and he's played by Ralph Ineson, who's an actor I like quite a bit. Um, do you see the witch? I forget. I never did. Oh, okay. You know him if you saw him. I think. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. So he he makes a challenge, which is uh, anybody here can come and deliver whatever blow with their sword they want. And a year from now, they have to receive the same blow from me with my ax. And it's like, oh, all right. And uh, Gawain's like, okay, well, um, he doesn't say this, but it's like, well, if I just cut his head off, uh, I don't think this is going to come back to me. I think this is going to be fine. And so <clears throat> he cuts off the Green Knight's head, at which point the Green Knight picks up his head and says, Basically, I'll see you in a year. <laughs> and uh, and so and there's this. And so Gawain like is is sort of uh, treated as as a hero because essentially the, the Green Knight has come in and, and challenged Arthur and just the bravery of everybody. And he stepped forward. And now that everyone knows, like Gawain is essentially signed up to have his head chopped off for the honor of the kingdom. He is a bit of a hero. He's a legend. And so a year goes by and he is going to go do this. And there are some people saying like, you know, you don't actually even have to do it. Uh, but he says, no, I need to. And, th- and he's a character that has not really done much with his life and has kind of wasted his life in a lot of ways. And so this is sort of his way of living up to this sudden legend that he's a part of. And along the way he encounters different people and has different experiences and, and essentially is just questioning who he is, who he wants to be, how he gets there, and if he even should go there. And all of that is done almost purely visually. And so it's really interesting. It's visually gorgeous. Um, wonderful performances all around. And it's just a, it's, it's a long, I don't think the movie's particularly long. I think it's over two hours, but the pacing makes it feel a little bit longer than it actually is, I think. But it also, it's very meditative. It just kind of pulls you in and you're just, you're just along for the ride and just letting the world wash over you. Um, it's not exactly John Borman's Excalibur. And I would say it doesn't necessarily feel like it, it, in my mind, it feels like it could go along. It could be a nice companion piece to that because that's also a film that I think is visually gorgeous, but definitely looking to dig deeper into the otherwise like simple nobility of like Arthurian myth. Well, um, apparently, according to Aaron Newworth and Terrence Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, who were on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, thanks to them, um, 
David Lowry's main, one of his main inspirations was actually a different sword and sorcery movie from the same year as Excalibur, Dragon Slayer, which I've never, oh, okay. which I've never seen. Uh, yeah, neither have I. But uh, but yeah, I liked it. I, in fact, in many in many cases, I loved it. There are times when it feels a little bit cold, as as one would expect with something like this. It's more intellectual than emotional, um, but it's still pretty solid. Dev Patel does a wonderful. The whole cast is is great. Um, I don't remember how you say the this guy's last name, but Barry Keegan. Yeah, uh, sure. from Killing of a Sacred Deer, um, he's in it. He's in it brief, and Dunkirk, he's in it briefly, and is marvelous. The whole cast is great, um, but yeah, it's definitely a film that I that I recommend. But again, I need to emphasize a little bit emotionally cold, a little bit uh, s- like slower and meditative, and it doesn't necessarily end with like a clear statement. Uh, you're just sort of left to to th- to think about it, and 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 it'll stay with you. It did it did me. I really um, am surprised. I sometimes people make a get off on the wrong <laughs> foot. I didn't like Ain't Them Body Saints, and so right. every time I like, well, I haven't. I didn't see Peach Dragon, but like a Ghost Story, I loved Old Man and the Gun. I really liked. I keep being like surprised that I like him. I should be like. I should realize that I like him, I like David Lowry's movies, and maybe I should even give Ain't Nobody Saints another shot. There are things that I, there are things that I was frustrated by with Pete's Dragon, mostly from a story standpoint, but from a tone hmm. and visual standpoint, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. All right, uh, maybe it just bothers me that um, sort of like Paul Haggis calling his movie Crash when there was a movie Crash in the nineties. Sure. David Lowry is the frontman of the band Cracker. And uh, before that, uh, Camper Van Beethoven, I think. Oh, okay. Um, he's a famous person. Okay, yes. It's weird that there's a second famous person named David Lowry. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Would you prefer that he go by, like, Dave? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Or, he like, does... do the, or like use his middle initial. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yes, yes. Because I feel like, you know, if you're going to be, like, an artiste, like David Lowry... Yeah. Dave feels wrong. But like, and doesn't it bother you there's a director named Steve McQueen? It does. Yes. Admittedly. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. The nerve of these people. I know. (laughs) Um, All right. uh, All right. Next up for me. um, Okay. We've talked about this experience before. As you get older, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I are both pushing 40. And as you're like a movie person, there are movies you like that sound good when they come out and you're like i should watch that and it sort of stays in that like i've been meaning to catch up with that and yeah. then you look up and the movie's 14 years old oh yes so uh, uh natalie and i uh turned on frank oz's death at a funeral from 2007 the other night just as some we had some like we had a sudden night at home because we had mm. plans uh canceled for a sad reason actually mm. um uh, with one of Natalie's friends. Uh, and so, uh, I just suggested, I don't know what I'd been thinking about it. And I was like, why don't we watch this? It was, on, was on a remake. Is it not? No, sorry. Not a remake. Okay. What is it? Neil LeBute's film from three years later, 2010 okay. is a remake. Neil oh, Le- this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Frank Oz made a movie, a British comedy, despite being directed by Frank Oz and also, also starring Alan Tudyk as a Brit, but also starring Peter Dinklage as an American. Right. Hold on. In okay. 2007, Three years later, Neil LeBute made the exact same movie with the exact same... Uh, I mean, I'm sure he changed some of the dialogue, but the same premise, same title, Death at a Funeral, with an essentially largely all-black, largely black yes. cast. Yes, yes. Uh, set in America, mm-hmm. except Peter Dinklage plays the same role in both movies. Yes. Yeah. 
I feel like cinematically, this is like a milestone in the history of film. I feel like I should incorporate it into my history classes. Like, hey, here's a here's a weird anomaly. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I this really made me want to watch the Neil Butte. Uh, version and how weird that Neil Butte of all that's like <laughs> that's the other thing. But, uh, yeah, if you're younger than us, younger than we are, and you didn't like Neil Neil Butte wasn't like a provocateur bad boy of Just American art house cinema or whatever, and and the and the stage and the fact that he's making like broad corny comedies with like Chris Rock and Kevin Hart. That's like, like why? Like, I like the idea that he heard that he saw Frank Oz's film and was put off by the British accents. And he's just like, Oh, (laughs) get some Americans in there. Uh, See this Peter Dinklage guy. He's got it. Um, but wait, didn't, did Neil Butte and Chris Rock work together before? Because I think it might've been a situation. Nurse Betty. Uh, nurse Betty. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it might've been a situation where Chris Rock was like, I like he optioned it to sure. remake and then hired a director that he okay. knew and liked. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know why I, th- I think I read that, but maybe I'm yeah. just making that up. Anyway, and when I think of a director for hire, uh, I think, <laughs> of <Neil and> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Dead Frank Oz's death at a funeral. Uh, it's in many ways, it's kind of an expected like dark farce. Uh, You know, everyone's come together for this rich guy's funeral. It's the rich guy's family. And the premise is there's this weird guy, Peter Dinklage, skulking around. And then he, like, pulls the oldest son aside um, and says, like, you know, I have something to tell you. Your father and I were lovers at the end of his life. Like, even though you're still married to your mother, he was not only having an affair, but he was also secretly gay. And um, it seems like a tough thing to deal with to begin with. And then Peter Dinklage threatens to blackmail the family. And so it becomes a, we got to do something about this, 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 this guy, uh, this interloper or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it has some dark parts. It has some silly parts. It has some gross out parts. It's kind of expected, but it's all like, uh, I feel like this is, you, you got a great cast. You've got Frank Oz knows what he's doing. It just feels like there's a, there's a craft, there's a workmanship to yeah. it. It's, it's, it's well-made. I don't know that I would like go out of my way to say it's something that someone has to see. Right. But, uh, as dark farce goes, uh, it's all, everything is handled very well. I feel like it wouldn't hurt some, you know, uh, someday, uh, uh, to do like a profile of Frank Oz as director. Mm. I feel like his, his an interesting filmography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, other thing about the remake, though, that I need to watch. Okay. Um, James Marsden plays the Alan Tudyk part, which while watching the movie, I was like, oh, so part of Alan Tudyk's character story is that he's already not accepted by the family. And then he accidentally is, uh, he accidentally ingests a hallucinogen and starts acting even weirder. So I feel like the, the idea of an all black family, sure. family, James Marsden, like the idea of already not being accepted by the family, maybe that, uh, plays into it that he's like yeah. the white guy who's dating the 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 black daughter of of the family or whatever. I am curious, you know. Obviously, you know Peter Dinklage's character is, as you say, like this interloper who, like, oh, we were involved in this way that you certainly you are not prepared for and all that. Do they make 
does the movie like make light of the fact that he is a dwarf? Uh, they don't make light of it. No, okay. they reference they reference it because there's a part where they're trying to like. I don't want to give too much of the way. Uh, like um, they're trying to like get him to leave the party, and they're like. Um, you know, maybe no one will even remember that he was here. And someone says like, of course people are going to remember he's four fucking feet tall. <laughs> okay. Right. So they, they make reference to it, but sure. they're not like, there's no like, Oh, this is extra weird or anything. Because okay. That, that was yeah. my, that no, was yeah, my no, question. it's not. Yeah. He's not like the, um, soft sell song. He's not a sex tour. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, uh, not a song I'm super familiar with. Oh, it's a great song. I have no doubt, yes. And it's off of the album with, I think, maybe my favorite album title of all time. Maybe second to Four People in an Elevator and one of them sure. is The Devil. My favorite album title of all time, Nonstop Erotic Cabaret, is oh, the name boy. of that song album. Oh, shit. All right. I guess I got to change the name of that biography. <laughs> Autobiography, I was right. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, okay, so next up for me is Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move, available on uh, HBO Max. Okay. Which I enjoyed tremendously, as one might expect. It's Steven Soderbergh, very much in his comfort zone, uh, working with frequent... Uh, you know, people he's worked with before, including, uh, David Holmes, his, uh, his, uh, composer and there it's, it takes place in, you know what? I don't actually, it might be like the, I don't know the time period now that I think about it. It no. might be like the, the twenties, thirties or forties. Now I don't recall, but, okay. uh, it takes place in Detroit, um, it, with like the underworld, but it also is this interesting, interaction of like the early you know the early days of like the automotive industry and its willingness to engage with the underworld in order to fight competition um and so you have Benicio del Toro and Don Cheadle as our main characters who are these two guys who exist who are just kind of sort of bag men who are vaguely aware of each other but in this world, there is essentially like there are two underworlds, the black one and the white one. And the black one is is run primarily by Bill Duke, friend of the show. Always nice to see him. Um, and then the other is run by multiple people, including, among others, uh, Ray Liotta and uh, Brendan Fraser, who uh, is does a delightful job. Um and so these two guys, you know, everyone's kind of aware of each other. But now these two guys get hired along with uh, Kieran Culkin. Uh, and they essentially are holding a guy's family hostage who works as an accountant for one of the big um, automotive companies. And he has to go into work and get into his boss's office and get a certain document out of the safe. 
which they'll he'll then deliver to these guys. They'll take it back to their bosses, and suddenly the competition has this uh, okay. this amazing thing. Anyway, you know that it's essentially. I mean, it's not exactly a MacGuffin because it does play a big role and it does have meaning, but. Um, but yeah, so there, you know, double and triple crosses and all that sort of thing, and all the actors delivering—not necessarily stylized performances, but certainly heightened performances—and um, uh, visually, it looks it looks beautiful, wonderful costuming and art direction and all of that. Um, and the performances are all a lot of fun. Um, Don Cheadle, especially, uh, is doing some good stuff and some. Just delightful supporting roles. Um, David Harbour, man, there is a scene. It is one of my favorite scenes of the year where he essentially, I won't go into all the detail behind Mm -hmm. it. He essentially has to then go to his boss's house because the document was not in the safe. He has to go to his boss's house and get the document from him. And his boss is just like, well, I'm not going to do it. And then David Harbour's like, he goes, I am telling you, this is life or death for me. You know, I would not be here asking for this. I know how important it is. I wouldn't be here if not for this. And his boss is is like, well, I'm not, I can't give this to you, obviously. And like David Harbour starts to just like loosen his tie and take his jacket off. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I have to do this now. I have to hurt you. He's like, I have to do this. And so like, he like grabs his boss, who's an older guy and like throws him on the ground and he and it's it's humorous, but it's also a hundred percent believable. He's, he goes, I love my job. He goes, this should te- he goes, this should tell you how important this is. I'm going to lose my job and get in trouble because I'm going to punch you. He goes, this is a punch, and he punches him. <laughs> and it's like it's this weird thing where like he has to do this is a thing he needs, otherwise his family's going to die. Yeah. And it's it's funny, but probably not as funny as Robert Forster's. I'm going to hit you. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it's funny, but it also, there's such a sadness to it. Mm. Like he is just so obviously compelled. Um, although I do think that like, so, uh, Amy Simons is in the film and she plays his wife. Oh. Uh, and there's a scene where, you know, he's off at the, at the workplace and she's at home with her kids with, with a couple of the, uh, the heavies. Uh, heavies thank you. Um, <laughs> don't I, say, I don't know if that's, the it's fun. It's fun though. Yeah. It's, uh, they're heavies. There are main characters, but they're heavies to her certainly. Right. Um, and then a, uh, a little girl, uh, a friend of her daughter's like comes to the front door and the girl's mom is waiting in the car. And so she has like, oh, I have to say something and like get rid of her. And so she just comes up with this lie and the girl starts walking back and Amy Simons in just this wonderful deadpan way that I, I it's not going to sound funny when I say it, mm-hmm. but man, I laughed so hard. She's just looking. She goes, I don't think that's going to be the end of that. And then, and then sur- sure enough, mm-hmm. the mom gets out of the car and starts walking toward her. And she's like, yep. <laughs> and it's just, it's just such a plain, like, well, she's very I did, funny. I did what I could, but yeah. th- we all know this isn't going to happen. And so it is a very funny movie. There's really a sense of like desperation, even in the midst of all this very stylized cool. Um, And so, you know, if you're a fan of of Soderbergh or really any of these actors, I think you'd like it. It's it's an it's a very easy watch while also being very suspenseful. Uh, And you do get some very genuine human moments like 
that scene again, like that scene with David Harbour beating up his boss, which he absolutely does not want to do. It's funny, but it is so raw. And I feel like I haven't seen <clears throat> I haven't seen a movie scene like that mm. before where somebody is doing this and trying to distance themselves from it at the same time. All right. Last one for me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very excited. I just watched it last night. I really enjoyed it. The new film by uh, French filmmaker Anne Fontaine. Mm-hmm. It's called White as Snow. Uh, Anne Fontaine um, is probably best known for two movies, or at least in America, probably best known for two movies that I didn't see. Uh, Coco before Chanel, she made. Okay. And then, as far as I know, her only English language movie is that movie Adore, if you remember, where um, oh, yes. Amy Watson and Robin Wright uh, fuck each other's sons. Yeah, it's a cougar movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right? Um, anyway, so those two I haven't seen. Uh, what I have seen besides this, I've saw, I saw The Innocents uh, from 2016, mm-hmm. um, not the horror movie from the 60s, right. but the movie, a French movie from 2016, which was called... Uh, it played festivals as, like... Agnes Day, which Lamb of God in, right. in Latin, and for some reason it got once it got released, it was the Innocence. I don't know mm-hmm. why. When I saw it, it was the Innocence. I went to the Lemley and scene. I don't know we're not playing. The, this is a, ta- a, a, right. a, a, a a taste for the listeners of a fun game we play on Patreon, where, yeah. where we talk about the circumstances in which we saw a movie. But I went to the Lemley and Sino, the Town Center Five, mm-hmm. saw a weird double feature. Um, we saw The Innocence and Wiener Dog, two very different movies. Because The Innocence, yeah. The Innocence is about a female doctor in World War II who's caring for a bunch of nuns who were pregnant because they've been raped by Nazis. Ugh. Yeah, not uh, not a fun movie. Right. And Wiener Dog is oh, it was Todd Salon, so it's not fun either. But it's a different kind of not fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, anyway, so I've seen uh, The Innocence, which is which is pretty good. And then I saw a movie she made called Gemma Bovary, uh, which I really liked. And White as Snow, I think, is kind of a companion piece of Gemma Bovary, because Gemma Bovary is the story of Madame Bovary in the modern day. Mm-hmm. White as Snow is a Snow White. It's Snow White, but mm-hmm. it takes place in in the modern day in in our world, I guess. There's some maybe slightly fantastical elements that I that I liked, but it's mostly in our world. It's uh, um, There's... Uh, I guess by t- saying it's Snow White, I guess the reveal... This is a minor spoiler. The reveal of who the wicked the witch mm-hmm. carries is not the wicked witch but well, you know who like the, the queen the, the queen, queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah the the yeah the the reveal of who the queen is is treated as like a surprise that comes halfway through the movie but also like if you realize watching snow white and also we saw isabel huper at the beginning of the movie you you put it together sure. pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> but anyway. uh, what is it ebert's love uh, economy of characters yeah. yeah 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 otherwise you're like oh weird isabel huper was like this woman's boss at the hotel she works at for two scenes at the beginning and then never seen again yeah. obviously she's coming back and yeah. it's going to turn out so anyway it's about a young woman if leland orser were in the film it'd be like the wicked <laughs> yeah. queen is leland orser <laughs> yeah um uh, that's that's the the subtitle of the roger rule economy <laughs> characters or the leland orser uh, economy <laughs> of leland orser yeah um anyway uh so yeah, there's a young woman. She works at a hotel. She's jogging before her before her shift one morning, and she gets kidnapped. Someone tries to kill her. She gets away, but she doesn't know where she is. She finds herself in this small town. She ends up sort of moving in to this small town and befriending. Um, you'll never guess how many different men who live in the town. <laughs> I'm going to uh, say twelve angry ones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, 
so yeah, it's a it's a it's a Snow White story, and obviously, if you know the Snow White story is about who, who Pear's character comes back, mm-hmm. um, but um, uh, it's it, it, it's really you start to like. I was reminded of all things. <laughs> it's a very different movie, but I was reminded of uh, the. Um, was it uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John, which is a movie that I really think about a lot. Um, I, I did not see it. Okay. I think about it every time I'm Swiffering because there's a whole Swiffer okay. thing in the movie. Knowing uh, that there's a giant porn plot. Yeah. When when you said, like, I think about it every time, I'm like, where? what's the last <laughs> word you're going to be? Oh, okay, no. got it. No, yeah, there's a thing about him buying a Swiffer in the movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but... Don John was a movie that like at the beginning of the movie, all of the characters seem to be like stereotypes, you mm-hmm. know, he's the, you know, the young, like player wannabe, his dad, Tony, Tony Danza plays his dad is just like a right. guy in, in a, like a white, you know, tank top undershirt. Yeah. Like, and as the movie goes on, they become more, uh, real. And I kind of felt like oh, that, that at the beginning of, of, uh, of white as snow, it does feel like, Oh, everyone in this town seems to have like, Oh, that's their defining trait. And I realized, Oh, that's because the, that's what the dwarves are. The mm-hmm. seven dwarves, they each have their own, uh, defining trait. But, um, uh, it, it the, the movie is, uh, I think more interested in, uh, youth and like the, the, the feeling of, of, the the pressure to think about the future and be responsible and make good mm-hmm. decisions. And, um, there's a, an argument the movie's making that's just like, yeah, but also you're like young and good looking and fuckable for a very short period of your time. You should, uh, it's a very sexy movie. I should say white is snow. This is not, not, uh, uh this is not Disney's snow white. Okay. Uh, watch out. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so the, the movie is, partially an argument for just like uh it's okay to be like hedonistic and um and and just enjoy life you know to be i guess epicurean but there's not a lot of eating in 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 the movie there's some drinking uh uh but it's it's just a a, a movie that's full of life and it's also i mean i earlier in this episode when i was talking about American like studio genre movies seem to have lost certain things. A lot of st- American studio movies are not sexy anymore. Right. Um, and this is uh, a, a movie that is so very just pro sex and pro having fun, looking at beautiful people, having sex. Right. Um, there's, there, there's so much of that in, in the movie and it's so uh, joyful and yeah, there's a sinister thing, but it's like storybook sinister. And like, right. uh, like I said, it gets like maybe a little bit, hints of supernatural. It's got a, some, some dark, like fairy tale edges to it. I, uh, I, I really loved it. And also, I mean, I mean, I kind of buried the, I mean, Isabel who pairs really, that's more so than Anne Fontaine. The reason, like I asked for a screener of it when I got the email is the image of Isabel who I just love her in, in everything. And, uh, yeah, that did, didn't disappoint. 